Don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. Dr. Azif Manouf, mental health, physical health, business success, life success, are all of the areas that he stands for. He's pitched on Dragon's Den. He's been a star on The Apprentice. And now he's forging his own path. It's not that life is short. It's that we waste most of it. Take accountability and control of your time. Comment your favorite moments, hit subscribe now, and set the notification bell. Let's do this. What makes somebody mentally healthy? Mentally healthy, I always say they've got five things, okay? They're socially healthy, as in they've got a good circle of friends. You don't, yeah. you don't have to have a number of friends. You just got to have a, it's, for me, it's quality over quantity. Nice. Two or three strong friends who are on your level in terms of self-development, perhaps childhood friends. They're on the same path as you in terms of career goals, etc. Quality and on your level to exactly. increase social health. It yeah, love socially it. healthy. Yeah. And you've got to be financially healthy. I think if financially you're struggling, you know, we know particularly in men, uh, financial stress is one of the biggest causes of depression and anxiety and burnout and unfortunately suicide as well. So you've got to be financially healthy. doesn't mean you've got to be a billionaire, but you've got to have some sort of, you know, you've got to, because financial health means you can eat reasonably, you can sleep reasonably without worrying about the mortgage and the bills, etc. So financial health. Third is emotional health. Okay, so you've got to be healthy in terms of your emotions. Are you an angry person? Are you a passive person? You, you know, you have to have this emotional regulation. And the fourth one is physically healthy. You know, a healthy body has a healthy mind. Yeah, I, I literally just tweeted this morning. Um, people concentrate on strengthening their mind, yet they're physically weak. You know, you've got to get into the gym. Gym is so important. Go hand in hand. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I do find that actually. You go in the gym, everything, you actually eat better straight away. Absolutely. I mean, instantly. Yeah, of course. It's also you know, exercise. It's almost like guilt as well, in a way. Like, I've, I've trained. I don't want to just pick out now, you know. There's a psychologist in 1967, this was born. He was called McNair. And he proved this in research for decades, yeah. and still being proven to this, that exercise increases all positive mood states and decreases negative mood states yeah. at the same time. Absolutely. Simultaneously. And, and it's something called um, EPOC as well. So, uh, you know, excess post consumption. consumption. Yeah. So, about three days, some people say. It also affects the mood as well. We know enkephalins, you know, which are the happy hormones. So, right. So, Andrew Huberman talks about this in exercise, elevates your dopamine by two to two and a half times from baseline, doubles it. So, you know, it's really good. It's like having a, a hit of sugar. Yeah, all right. We, we, all right. That's Keep, the fourth thing. Yeah, it was number five. Number five is spiritually. So spiritually healthy. A lot of people don't really pay attention to this, but being spiritually healthy, I think having a relationship with a why. I literally tweeted uh, this today as well. <laughs> you know, the why. What is your why? Is it your kids? Is it your parents? Is it your lineage? Is it, you know... That is so usable. Yeah. Having, you know, spiritual health, I mean, the starting point is have a relationship with your purpose. Absolutely. And, with and your why. Exactly, your why. Simon Sinek talks about this as well. Yeah. What is your why? You have to have a why, honestly. That is your compass. And for people, like, you know, I'm a spiritual person. For me, it's God and what he expects of me. A lot of people have, oh, it's my family. A lot of people say, oh, it's my, my great-grandmother who passed away and, you know, her spirit's yeah. here. You have to have a why beyond you. 
Otherwise, life gets meaningless. So you, you got to have five tenets of mental health, I believe. And actually, have you noticed, I didn't mention, I didn't mention mental in that. These are emotional, spiritual, physical, social, and financial. They all make up mental health. Yeah, you didn't mention mental health. You just said healthy. Exactly. So, so, so them five tenets make up mental health. So people, you know, if, if you optimize for them, I say have six or seven or even eight out of 10 in the five domains. There's no point of being nine out of 10 in one domain and a two out of 10 in one domain. You've got to be, you know, six, seven, right. eights in all, all domains. And that's when you're healthy. All right. So what is personal excellence when it comes to mental health and, and shaping all that? How would you describe someone who is the best at this? Okay, someone who's the best at this is someone who doesn't have any weaknesses. Okay, so as in, you've got strengths, but not weaknesses. As in, you, to say you go to the lowest level of your standards. So, yes. You know, you fall to the low, level of your system of standards. Yeah, yeah. So I always say there's no point of being a nine or a ten or something and then being a two or something else. Someone who's healthy and optimized, who's fulfilled, has sevens and eights across the board. And maybe one or two nines. Holistic. Holistic, Holistic yeah. I always say in my podcast, multi-domain mastery. Someone who's a master of many domains. Yeah. You know, we've got this saying in English, jack of all trades, master of none. Why couldn't it be master of many? You know, why couldn't it be master of many things? Yeah, you know, I'm, and I've studied that whole coaching philosophy and I've, uh, I've used it actually, you know, developing multi-dimensional people. Exactly. And, you know, how we've started this interview now, I mean, look, socially, financially, emotionally, physically and spiritually, that's multi-dimensional. Absolutely. And if you that's look, holistic when you put it all together. It is holistic. And, and, and if you look at, I always mention Da Vinci because he died on the 2nd of May, which is my birthday. So, you know, you know, if you look at Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Donatello, Picasso, all these guys, Gaudi, they weren't one thing. They were sculptors, artists. They were philosophers. Some of them were poets. Some of them, some of them were composers. They had four or five things. They had four or five strings to their bow. Now we're just one thing. We get shoehorned into one thing. I'm just a doctor. I'm just this. I hate the word just. A lot of my colleagues say it, who are the same age as me, what do you do? I'm just a GP. You know, firstly, you're self-deprecating by saying just. Yeah. And secondly, why aren't you upskilling? You could be a GP who also does this. You could be a GP who who, who holds a fundraising, uh, you know, group. You could be a GP who runs a volunteer group. You could be a GP who uh, has a hiking or charity, you know. You could be a GP who's into self-development. You could be a GP who is into coaching. Have multiple strings to your bow. Don't, don't be that one-stringed you know, that one string bow, you know, and the example of the bow, the bow and arrow, the, uh, the arrow goes furthest when it's pulled with many strings. Think about it. If you've got one string to your bow. If you don't know, you know, you're from Nottingham, you're yeah, 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 yeah. No, you see, the more strings to the bow, the further the arrow goes. Yeah. So I have many, many strings to your bow. People just have one or two. But if you look at foundry years ago, it was natural for people to be doctors or sculptors and artists all in one. And they were called polymaths. A polymath is a, as a, is someone who excels in many fields. Right, is that right? Well, yeah. Say that word again, polymath. Yeah, polymath, yeah. Polymath, yeah. So it's like a genius, but in multiple fields. And we've reduced it, we're like, oh, you jack of all trades, master of none. Why can't it be master of many trades? What's stopping you? Can you, it, do you have to plan that through? Do you do that over year by year? You know, you. if I try and develop every, you know, mm -hmm. school me on this, if I go on, aim to develop on 
several areas over the next quarter, I'm going to do 10 things, you know, I risk doing nothing. Is that right or not? So yeah, that is true. So they say, the person who, I love my sayings, by the way, <laughs> they say a person who chases many hares ends, ends up with none. Yeah. Suppose you've got 10 hares in the field or 10 rabbits. You, you, you know, you, you chase them, chase, you know, one after the other, they all run away. You chase one, focus, you say follow one course until successful. So the way I do things is in phases. So I've, I've had my medical phase, then I'm my business phase, now I've got my coaching phase. But each time I'm adding layers on layers on layers, and each of them is called synthesizing. So I'm synthesizing my previous experience and building onto the onto the next one. Interesting. So that's what you do. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm feel free to comment and challenge back on this because I'm just kind of dissecting it as we go. So do one thing at once, but you don't have to be a one trick pony. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can you can develop yourself however you want. There's 24 hours in a day. So if you're doing one thing intensely, let's say 12 hours a day, you, you still got 12 hours left. And you know, suppose you sleep eight hours, you still got four hours left. You know, one hour gym, you still got three hours left. <laughs> one hour family, two hours left. Spend, <laughs> spend half an hour or 10 minutes a day just doing something. Yeah, nice, I just looked out, you kept going there. You still got 10 hours left, two hours left. Accountability, yeah. you know, I'm big on accountability. Yeah, I'm very big on that. Why? Because life is short. As a doctor, I've seen people die in the twenties of the I'm bit have you have you got this? I'm big on accountability because life is short and you, short. you why do we need accountability? Otherwise like you know, I think it was Marcus Aurelius, he says or maybe Seneca, I'm not sure, one of the Stoics philosophers. He says Are you a Stoic? I'm a Stoic, yeah, hundred percent percent Stoic. They he says, it's not that life is short, it's that we waste most of it. <laughs> and that's so true. We waste most of it. <laughs> so if you're wasting most of it, you're not accountable. Yeah. So hold yourself up to high standards. And I believe in that. You know, a lot of people are very good at, we talked about financial literacy and financial um, health. A lot of people are very good at looking at their NatWest bank balance and Barclays bank balance and seeing their rewards and their, you know, Tesco club card, blah, blah, blah. They're very good at accounting their money. But what about self-accountability? What about, you know, internal life audit? What about that? What about it's, you know, internal inspection? What about taking stock, taking inventory of yourself? People, you know, don't do that. And that's that starts with time. Time is a is a quantifiable asset. Yeah. You can't quantify physical health. You can't quantify, you, can't, you know, you can't quantify physical health, mental health, spiritual health. You can't quantify it. But you can quantify your time. So you can take account of what you can quantify and what gets measured gets managed. And a lot of people, it's staring them in the face. Your time, your minutes are accounted for. Staring them in the They're face. Accounted for that time. Exactly. It's not life that's too short. It's that we make waste most of it. That's true. Hundred percent. All right. So look, we've got loads of areas here. We've got socially healthy. That's about the the quality and with people on your level. Yeah. Finding the right type of people to hang around with. You know, there's there's a mindset guru who's no longer with us. He's called Jim Rohn. Yeah, Jim yeah, yeah. yeah. He is, he's a really, he's an OG. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's really good. And, you know, one of the things that he professes that's widely accepted now is you become the average of what you hang around. Of course, yeah. Um, so how do you choose the people, the quality of people that, that you're going to socially interact with? So you... I always say you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And like Jim Rohn says as well, three to five people. And in Arabic, there's a saying, show me his friends and I'll show you the man. 
And that's so true. You don't actually have to meet the man, you just meet his friends and you can tell the man as well. And there's actually a good study saying you're within two to three thousand pounds annual salary of the people you're surrounding yourself with. That's what they say, you know, very accurate, by the way. You know, two to three thousand pounds a year within the, that same salary bracket. So, and yeah, another quote is your uh, network is your net worth. And, you know, that's so important. So, how do you, okay, you've got to be very diligent, just like you're very diligent and judicious with your time, you've got to be the same with friends as well. It's better to have no friends than to have an average friend. I always believe that. They're, they've got to be in shape. They've, you know, or if not, they've at least got to have a vision and a, and a roadmap to get there. People who, you know, perhaps aren't in the best shape, but they have no, they have apathy. And that's what kills dreams, apathy, lack of ambition. It's not the actual where you are now, it's what's your roadmap? Where do you see yourself in five years time? When I speak to a lot of people in my coaching, I say, where do you see yourself in five years time? I don't know, but you have to have a roadmap to get there. Yeah, apathy is not not necessarily not knowing, it's not being bothered. Exactly, it's indifference. Yeah. You're almost ambivalent to your situation. Yeah. So you have to have that roadmap, you have to have that desire. Desire, and desire, desire, drive, discipline. That's why I say them three. You know, you know, they're the three things that will get you to where you want to go. Desire, drive, discipline, and a lot of people don't have a drive. Goes back to the why. How do you develop it? How do you develop drive? You got okay, so there's two things. There's intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. Okay, extrinsic is your parents and peer pressure, or I get this job and blah blah blah. That's that's fleeting. Parents will die one day. You know, things change. You know. People move on. So your if if your if your motivation is extrinsic, that's very it works for a few, you know, yeah. for a small amount of time. It's gotta be intrinsic. It's gotta come from you, it's gotta come from within. And Carol Dweck talks about it in the book Mindset, you know, the growth mindset. Growth mindset is intrinsic. It's not motivated by your parents. And a lot of people, especially in medicine, I see if your dad's a doctor, you're like nineteen times more likely to become a doctor. And I don't think that's intrinsic motivation. 19 times. Yeah, 19 times. Almost 20 times, yeah. More likely to become a doctor. That's extrinsic motivation. You're doing it because your father's a doctor. You know? Where's the intrinsic motivation gone? And intrinsic motivation is so powerful. You will move mountains because of intrinsic motivation. But with extrinsic, you're just looking over your shoulder for validation. And that goes back to validation again, you know, with social media and all these things. We're seeking validation. We're seeking... uh, And often our parents live vicariously through us. You know, they, they, they live through us and we trying to fulfill their vision for us. And even in Asian families, they say, it's, it's your marriage, but it's their wedding. <laughs> <laughs> You're living vicariously with them. And it happens in career choices as well. Career choices, lifetime partner choices, all these kind of metrics of, of success. We're living through other people's dreams. And that's extrinsic motivation, not intrinsic. Intrinsic is very powerful. And only you know that. What are you motivated by? Legacy. I've got two sons and all. Legacy do you want life? My, my, my sons. I've got two sons and it's very difficult being a man in today's society, you know, where inflation and job markets and more women now in education, which is a good thing, by the way, but men are losing their purpose and losing their why. I want to leave a roadmap for my kids. I'm wise enough to know I might not live till 40 or 50 or 60. I don't know. You know, life is... Anytime, you know, we could drive our nice car and get hit by a bus. You just don't know. I want to leave a legacy in, in my in my online work, in my book, in, in books, in my coaching as well, where my kids can pick it up and have a roadmap for success. You know, I was, I was growing up in the 90s. I'm a 90s kid. My father was in Pakistan. You know, you know no, no video calls. Like, that makes you a millennial, not a Generation Z, yeah? 
Yeah, I'm a millennial, yeah. I was born in the late 80s, but grew up in the 90s. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, yeah, thankfully I'm a millennial, not Gen Z. I've got a bit of focus, you know, I've got a bit of a, what do they call it, attention span. Let's not be too offensive <laughs> to the Gen Zs, all right? Um, they probably won't listen to more than 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> That's our TikTok generation, you know? Yeah, all right, well, let's get this out on TikTok. Let's get it on shorts. Yeah, let's get it on shorts. Um, all right, looking over your shoulder for validation, there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm just connecting some of the things that you said earlier on. Financially, is depression, anxiety, emotional anger. You know, that I'm looking over my shoulder here trying to validate myself. Is that lack of self-worth? Is that insecurity? What, what is it? Okay. Insecure, it can be insecurity. And in men, particularly most of my, actually 90, yeah, 90% or above of my clients in coaching, from mindset coaching on men. And it's a sense of, speaking to men here, it's a sense of fragile masculinity almost. They're seeking external validation. Insecurity I see as body image. So we wrote a paper a couple of years ago speaking about, you know, we talk about female insecurity, but men can just, you know, men can be just as insecure. And back in my younger days, I used to model. Some of the most insecure people were models, literally some of the most good looking. Have you ever been insecure? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. In what way? I grew up with a speech impediment. Right. And had a lot of coaching for that. Um, a lot of therapy and, yeah, so, yeah, what do you call it? Speech and language therapy. Right. So, yeah, definitely insecure about my, not about my looks or anything like that. You know, I work out and, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty, in, you know, in, in decent shape. But I was insecure that I wasn't, I was a Sheffield lad, you know, working class, you know, didn't have the public school you know, the way I spoke was very different to other people. I went to, I went to middle school in New York, very, very middle class. And a lot of the guys were from Bristol, Exeter, very posh. And the way I spoke with the local, you know, local accent. Yeah, Even yeah. Now I've got it, I'm not gonna lose it. If Sean Bean can make it, it's a Hollywood, <laughs> Sheffield lad with his accent, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> who am I? Love, love yeah. that, love that. Man. So I kept it, I, I didn't really change it. And I like it, it's, you know, so you are. Oh, yes, exactly. So, so, so you, you've turned the security insecurity into strength there. Absolutely. How, how long did it take you to come to terms with that and to realize that and to, you know, get that mentality that you've just shared? It takes, it takes a lot, a lot of inner work. You know, they call it shadow work. It takes a lot. What do you mean? Like working on your inner demons. You know, we've all got demons, you know, all of us. Little voice in our head. Steve Peters, another chef you'll know, yeah, yeah. you know, Chimp Paradox. I don't know. No. We, we know really well-known professor. He talks about the Chimp Paradox, yeah. the Chimp the chimp Brain. Journey Through the Jungle, this is the second book. And he talks about the Chimp. And the, you know, the Chimp is, you could say it is our demon. He, he called it the Chimp. He does a Chimp coaching, you know, that, yeah. that's the company. But before it was called a Chimp by him, it was called the Demon or the Inner Voice or whatever, the Inner Critic, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we've all got this Chimp or, you know, whatever you want to call it. We've all got this voice, this inner narrative. And it's about suppressing that and, or feeding it sometimes, you know, but just knowing its place. It's always going to be there, but don't let it rattle this cage too much. Control the voice in your head. How do you control the voice in your head? Being busy. I think we, yeah. Doing stuff. Yeah, doing stuff. Yeah, take action. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that distracts you. Yeah, distraction is, is a proven yeah, exactly. technique, actually, to, you know, 
remove anxiety and all this yeah. kind of stuff as well as uh, relaxation techniques. So distract yourself by being busy, by doing other things, mm -hmm. getting on with it. How else do you get rid of the voice in your head? Because it's there, isn't it? Yeah. So can, thought, can you pre-program the voice? No, because the you can only pre-program something like a computer, which is logical. It, 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 it obeys commands. So, you know, Steve Peters talks about emotional hijacking. Okay, then the, the limbic system. I don't want to get like too medical, but the limbic system is the, the primitive part of yeah. the brain, the basal ganglia and all that stuff. Hippocampus, amygdala, emotional controls. So I mentioned in the five things that I make on mental health, one of them was spiritual health. Spiritual health, a big part of that is connecting to yourself as well. Because what you said, it was your relationship with UI, which I love. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Also connecting to yourself. Yeah, so, you know, as a Muslim, I believe that our soul's inside we. Same as Christianity and, you yeah. know, and Judaism and many religions, you know, Buddhism as well. I, I, I believe the same. Yeah, it's just spirits, you know, spirits inside you. And whether you want to believe you can weigh it, you know, there's a good film with Bill Smith called Seven Pounds. Yeah. You know, seven pounds, is that the weight of the soul? Because the body decreases by seven pounds when it dies. So that's another question, a metaphysical question. Is this It's crazy, that isn't it? crazy, it's really crazy. And I can tell you, I've handled a lot of dead bodies. It's really, really weird. Really cold and rubbery and yeah. So is that the soul leaving the body? Does that weigh seven pounds? But more than that, this, the soul inside the body needs to be fed as well. And I believe once the soul is happy, the soul is content, you're on your why. And one big part of doing that, you don't have to pray, you can meditate. You can, you know, deep, deep breathe, mindful eating. Put your hand on your diaphragm and just breathe deeply, enjoy, you know, enjoy. Because what is life but breath? That, that's all life is, isn't it? Really, breath. <laughs> there's no breath and there's no life. Inspire. So, inspire, exactly. The word inspire and expire. Think about it. So... Put your hand on your diaphragm every morning, take some deep breaths. Very important. And actually enjoy the moment. And that, going back to, you talked about the inner voice. You know, starve, starve it sometimes. Sometimes feed it, sometimes starve it. You starve it by feeding your soul. You starve that inner voice by feeding your soul. How do you feed your soul? Meditation. You feed your soul through meditation every day. Do you have to do it every day? I think so. What? I literally tweeted this a few hours ago as well. It's like, um, I said, you know. How often do you tweet? I tweet like 100 times a day. Like, I'm just, I have a stream of consciousness. Like, you know what? I should get a planner. Like, there's like a, like a tweet planner. Right. But these thoughts just come to me and I thought, you know what? It's, it might benefit someone. Right. It might benefit someone now or it might benefit my son in 20 years time. So I just, I've got to tweet it. I've, I've got Dr. Tan writing, so I don't write it down anymore. I used to write down, but then I couldn't read my own writing. So you just type in. I just I just type out. Yeah, stop the call. I get off a service station. Do like five or ten tweets. Bang, like a tweet storm. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I do. Literally, I've stopped. A one-hour journey will take me like three hours. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not lying. Seriously, it take me three hours. Just stopping and starting, stopping, and starting. Really? Yeah. Do you love tweeting? It's my journal. Twitter is my journal. I've tried other journals and blogging. And but it's helped you grow as well. Look at all that you're becoming as a business owner in your own... It Twitter is great, yeah. Twitter's a micro journal. And uh, I've tried journals, I've lost them and, you know, moved houses and changed cars. But yeah, Twitter is my journal. What would you do if they switched it off? 
I probably email myself. <laughs> <laughs> the right email, email myself. That's what I used to do before too. I used to just email myself. Did you? Yeah. The majority of the emails that you get in your inbox are from you. Yeah. Well, one hour car <laughs> journey is two hours worth of email. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could just never add. But um, I think, yeah, maybe if Elon's got any good ideas, they'll be auto-tweeting when you're driving. Yeah. You have to say something, or will tweet it when you're driving. That'd be a good idea. I'm sure that that's got to be available very soon. Yeah. yeah. So, so in medicine, we have a dictaphone. So whenever you're in the ward or in a clinic, you see a patient, you, you dictate what you've seen, and it comes out in a, in, in, in a letter. Right. That'll be great for tweets as well. Yeah, it will. It, I mean, it's it's got to be available now. So what are the, some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your growth? I think being a working-class Yorkshire lad, in a very middle-class profession. <laughs> that was difficult. I was I was 18. How did you overcome that? Trying to fit in with everyone. And I think that was the wrong thing to do. I overcame it by trying to just speak like a posh guy from Bristol. And, you know, <laughs> it worked. He comes from school. <laughs> Give us the accent. I can't remember. <laughs> it's just very I, I'm just imagining yeah, it now. Like, it was just a posh newsreader accent, you know, like a, yeah. in glass-cut English. But that wasn't me. I was, I was um, not true to myself. So how how did you overcome the, that challenge? How did I? Okay, you got to see some of the baggage you bring into 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 life, and a lot of mine was not having many role models growing up. So I was eldest of six kids. My father was in Pakistan, and not having a roadmap. And that's what I say about roadmap. I'm so big on roadmaps. So I want to leave one for my sons. And um, not having a roadmap, having to do things yourself, you know, not having any, going, going to school, which wasn't very academically successful, living in an area which was quite low attainment. I had to do, I had to figure things out along the way. It's nice that, isn't it? You've, you've mentioned it a few times, you know, the importance of having uh, this, the simplicity of the comment, yet the magnitude of the impact of just having a roadmap. If well, does Tony Robbins say, you know, if you can't see where you're going, you ain't getting there. Exactly. Yeah, there's a ceiling holding everyone down, but if you can't see where you're going, there's there's a dark ceiling holding you down. Absolutely. Some people call it the roadmap. Some people call it the blueprint and whatever. It, it, it's the same principle. It's a navigation to get there. It's a, it just Napoleon Hill. You know, Napoleon Hill said, if you can't see it and and believe it, yeah, you, you know, you exactly. might you can't be conceived. Absolutely, exactly. And his book, Think Rich, Go Rich, yeah. as well. It talks about um, power of writing things down yeah, and yeah. affirmations and uh, your chief, what is this, this, chief main objective or something like that's your overarching why. Yeah. And uh, think rich, grow rich, it's so true. Think and grow rich. Yeah, you know, and because what you think, you say, if you can't, um, what you believe, what the mind can conceive, the body can achieve. And that's so true. What the mind can conceive. But growing up, I, I couldn't conceive anything. There was no roadmap. And this was days before YouTube and yeah, I, I yeah. I mean, he does say in chapter on desire. You know, everything that you can see here, feel, or touch has been created twice: first in someone's imagination, and second in reality. Exactly. And Absolutely. you know, and you know that that whole conceiving it, believing it is is a really important is a really important part. So you begin to road mapping. hundred oh, percent. And this is not just for mental health. Yeah. This is for achievement. You gotta have defined goals and milestones and metrics. I always believe in that. Gotta have this number, and in in every domain, physically, mentally, yeah. I've got really lofty ambitions. Uh, 
you know, quite a lot of them have achieved already. Yeah, look, you're young. And I can see, you know, we, we've done some, I did some research before this and you're putting yourself out there all of the time. And I can see that you're hungry for progression and, and achievement. Has been any other challenges besides the sort of Yorkshire accent, the sort of the 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 working class, middle class? Uh, what about challenges? Um, touch wood, and I, and I thank God I've had good health always. Um, you know, health usually the bigger challenge. Yeah, for some people, and. I, I've changed my perception of challenges now. I embrace them. Right. You know, I, I see them as trampolines. You go to the next level or like, you know, catapults. It's a nice little analogy that, isn't yeah. it? I see it as a trampoline because when, you know, when I overcome that challenge, yeah, it goes to the next exactly. level. Unlocks the next level. I literally tweeted about this today as well. You can check it like, you know, a trauma unlocks, it trans, you know, to use Napoleon Hill's word, transmutation. That's what he talks about. Yeah, it does. I didn't even know that what, what that word meant. That, you know, yeah, that, that chapter is weird. It's a weird, yeah, exactly. Sexual about, transmutation. Yeah, transmutation. He talks to all the men and yeah. all the wives and, you know, yeah. all that stuff. It's a very old-fashioned book in that sense. No, only that chapter. Yeah, the whole chapter, yeah. The whole do, book. Do, do, the, the rest of the book is the rest of the book is, is, is a brilliant book. You know, it's a great book, yeah. I've, I've, it's one of my first audiobooks, actually. Um, great book. And um, transmutation. And I was talking about this today on my, on my Twitter Trauma can transmute you. Sorry, trauma can unlock the next level of your growth if you transmute it properly. If you channel that stress and trauma properly, it can actually, like a butterfly, caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It can, you know, it can actually. How do you do that? So how do you transform it properly? What 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 is it? Is it a blend of what you've said earlier on? Is there something else involved? I think stoicism is important. Stoicism, like Marcus Davidia says, things don't happen to you; they happen for you. So see events as happening for you, for your benefit. Is that my outlook? Is that my attitude? Is that my philosophy? You know, what is it? Mm-hmm. Me realizing that things don't happen to me and it happens for me, that's just my outlook, my perspective, yeah. 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 But, but the philosophy has to be then guided by higher principles. So for the Greeks, it was the Greek gods. They had, you know, the Titans, the Hercules and all these Greek, you know, mythical gods. Mm-hmm. That was, they always believed in this. If you read the book Richest Man in Babylon, talks about this as well. Like, you know, the, the gods on the other side of the curtain, the curtain being death. Yeah. So, you know, you've got this life, you've got the curtain, and then you've got the, after the curtains, yeah. this other life, and the Greek gods are waiting for you there. Most religions have this perception as well, you know, death, afterlife. Yeah. On the other side, there's your relatives waiting for you when the curtain is lifted when you die. So having that, when you imbue that with, with philosophy, the spiritual sense, it becomes a, you know, it gives you a greater sense of why. So again, so I'm getting lost here in philosophy and uh, too much talk about the Stoics, but essentially that Stoic philosophy as in things happen for you, not to, you know, not to you. Don't yeah. complain about your lot. Actually say it was sent by the gods if you're a Stoic or if you're a Muslim or Christian, it was sent by God. It was sent, it was packaged and parceled and delivered to your doorstep for you to unlock the next stage of your journey. And in, in five years' time or ten years' time, or definitely in your deathbed, you look back at back at that event and say, you know what? It happened for the happened for the right reasons. It happened for me, not to me. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, the, w- the one thing that's springing to my mind is I'm, I'm just leaning into Jim Rohn again is for things to change for me, I need to change. Yeah, of course. And that could be my outlook or it could be my perspective or it could be the, the Max Aurelius comment there of it's not happening to me, it's happening for me, which is my attitude, yeah? Oh, we say in Arabic, Alhamdulillah, meaning, in, you know, thank God in every situation. Situation. Say again. Alhamdulillah, so Alhamdulillah means, you might have heard yeah. some of the footballers say that. Alhamdulillah means praise be to God. And Alhamdulillah means in every situation. All situations. And that gratitude, by the way, is the, one of the biggest hacks to unlock happiness. Why? Because it does something to your dopamine and, and endorphins. It's true. You know, we do gratitude at the dinner table at home with the kids. You know, and it's like, what am I grateful for today type thing. I learned that from an Indonesian coach, actually. And, you know, our kids love that now. And all of a sudden, it's, it's more of a piece of the furniture now at our house and and it does release dopamine yet a lot of people think that being gratitude is fluffy yeah exactly what would you say to them try it you can't dismiss something before you try it how should they try it what was the what's the starting point okay to trying gratitude okay I've got an unfair advantage because I spent a lot of my teenage years on a cancer ward like as a, as a medical student yeah so I saw the other side of, you know, help. I saw guys who, I was like 19 at the time, you know, I was a young medical student, second or third year, and I saw leukemia patients. That made me grateful for health. But that perspective, that is a good point. Exactly. <laughs> you know, oh, my life is so hard. Well, hang on a second. Let's just, let's just take a look at the world for a second. <laughs> Could it be any worse? Could be like this. Exactly. Now all of a sudden you're grateful what you've exactly. got. So perspective yeah. is a really nice, neat way of yeah. starting, whether you start with it or not. Is there any other ways of going into gratitude? Yeah, just um, writing a few things down if you don't, you know, if you can. If not, a lot of people don't write nowadays, but if you can't, just mentally write five things down or three things down or even one thing down. Start with one thing. What am I grateful for today? I woke up it's, and I'm breathing. People are on, on ventilators, they can't breathe. One thing at least. It's easily dismissed that comment though, isn't it? People are, yeah. yeah but people, I've seen that with, with different uh, groups of people I've connected with over the years that it's not deep enough for some people to buy into it, that yeah. comment. But you know why though? Because they spend a lot of their time, you know, uh, wearing hoodies, playing PS4 or whatever, five years now. Call of Duty in a dark room. They don't see the outside world. They don't even see outside their their room. They get their beans and doors delivered to them from their mom or for whatever. They're spending their life in a little room. Insular. Insular. Very insular. Not only is this causing vitamin D deficiency and the knock-on effects on mental health, it's causing them to lose perspective of life. You know, they're losing perspective. There's people out there who are homeless. People out there who are on the streets. There's people out there who are fighting with their lives, age eight or nine, you know, young kids. So this might sound a bit extreme, but to cultivate gratitude, see people worse than you. And what's a good way to do that? Go to a cancer ward. I, I was looking at, you know, that was part of my training. It's been five years there. That will, that will stamp, that will put a stamp mark in, in your, 
exactly. emotional mind yeah. in your heart. Never because that. You, you'll never forget that, will you? So you go to cancer ward. Yeah. Go to a leukemia ward. And I, I, I remember, I almost got in trouble for this. I was 19 years old. There was a kid who was 17 at the time. And England were playing at the time. England were playing, this is like going back 20, almost 20, 15, 20 years ago. I was a third year med student. And England were playing a football game. It was like a midweek Wednesday in one of these qualifiers. I said, I felt so bad for the kid. He was 17 and, you know, he's got a few weeks to live. I said, I'll come back and watch the game with you. Obviously, you're not supposed to see patients after, you know, you're not, not you know, you're not supposed But I did it genuinely because I felt so bad for this kid. He's passed away now. This was in, in Hull. And I was learning the boundaries between empathy and then patient care and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's the first time in my life I'm seeing young kids dying. That stamped on me the how lucky I am. You know, I've got health. If I've got health, I've got everything. If I've got health, I've got everything. Because you can build from health. You can build wealth from health. You can build family from health. But if you don't have, if you don't have health, you can't build. You can't have a family. You can't. You can't build wealth. You can't have a business, etc. So the foundation of everything is health. And going back to our initial point, health is mental and physical. And mental is the five things. Is health? the most important thing in life or is relationships relationships feed feed into health i i think that's part of social health as well social health yeah. health is the most important thing in life health is the most important 100% because then relationships yeah yeah relationships 80% of of fulfillment will be health 20% will be relationships that's what i believe relationships with with yeah your wife interesting that yeah oh right because now we've got our 100% exactly Everything else is, is whatever it is, but it's not fulfillment. Exactly. So we should be, be going, we should, you know, be, we should the, be going from a stage of surviving to thriving. To thrive, you've got to be fulfilled. And you can only be fulfilled when you're healthy in and of yourself and you've got healthy relationships. But then, then relationships though are with yourself and with others yeah. and with your why. Yeah, you said that, the, your relationship with you are. I mean, you really eloquently put the five points across earlier on. But I did one of these podcasts with a lady called Jasmine Bertels. She's uh, owner of a business called Money Magpies, like uh, Martin Lewis, money-saving expert. She's the, f- the female. She's a TV presenter and stuff. And uh, she said that the most two, two most important things in life are health relationships. And the third one is money. Like it or don't like it, the third one is money. Yeah, no, money is very important. <laughs> it's, it's important because financial health is part of the five tenets of mental health. And, the, you know, the leading, the leading cause of suicide in men is financial distress. Is that right? Yeah, financial distress. When you talked about finances earlier on, you did talk about depression, anxiety, and burnout. Yeah. Men burn out because they're having two jobs to... You know, why are they, they getting burnt out? Because they've got two jobs. Why they've got two jobs to put money, to put food on the table. Men have anxiety about the job market, you know. Men have depression as well about the job market. So mental health, financial health are intrinsically linked. You can't separate them two. Do they also have depression about how they're perceived? Yeah, absolutely. Body image is hugely important for men as well. Love Island and all these things, you know, we've seen it now. Love Island and Big Brother's coming on, I think, in two months. The, the new series after a few years. So we're seeing more and more men now resorting to 
testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, the anabolic steroids. There's a huge pandemic of anabolic drugs in the gym. Men want to look a certain way. So body image and depression go hand in hand. A lot of men, self-harm. It's very underreported. What is self-harm? Self-harm is inflicting harm on yourself. That can be mentally and physically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we think about self-harm as in, you know, that, but that's tend to be, that usually tends to be females. Self-harm can be addictive behaviors. Smoking, binge drinking. So smoking is self-harm. It's, you know, it's a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism, exactly. But what are you doing, essentially? You're increasing your risk of 20 different types of cancer. Yeah, I mean, maybe this sounds obnoxious. It's not meant that way. But no one in their right mind would smoke. Exactly. Which tells you if you're smoking, there's there's something wrong in here. It's it's a good quote, probably the best quote I'm ever going to tell you. Dr. Gabor Mate, Hungarian, you know, you might have heard of him, addiction specialist. He says, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. And this is why I as a doctor never judge anyone. I've had drug addicts coming to me. And I treated them like any other person. They are my patients, and I have a God-given duty to look after them. I never asked them why the addiction. Who who said that? Gabor Mate. He's a author of Scattered Minds, very good book, Scattered Minds, Hungarian medical doctor who went through his parents went through the Holocaust, unfortunately, Auschwitz, etc., moved to America from Hungary. Yeah, it was in Jewish ghetto in Budapest. Very interesting story. Same, same sort of generation as Viktor Frankl. Like. Exactly, yeah. You know, with your yeah. why. And, yeah, exactly. You know, that's that's a great book, by the way. He, Viktor Frankl's. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, meaning. he armed Simon Sinek with yeah. free content there. Um, there you go. So, you know, inflicting harm physical and mental, but let's go with self-sabotage, you know, sabotaging yourself. That's how a lot of people are aware of, it's a a name that they put into the same thing. Is that the biggest pandemic on the planet? Yes, self-sabotage, why though? It's unconscious. A lot of people have childhood, I tweeted this today as well, I tweeted this, sorry, you're probably gonna get bored of my tweets, but I tweeted, before I came here. How long did it take? 10 minutes? Uh, no, this tweet is a quick tweet. It's like a <laughs> one minute tweet. But it was essentially about a big part of adulthood is having the metacognition. Yeah. Having the self-awareness to unlearn things which were true then but are untrue now. Repeat that. Let me digest. Yeah. The big part of adulthood is to have the metacondition to Metac- unlearn uh, from the past. Yeah. What was real then that's not real now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, having the self-awareness, the metacognition, that's what it means. Metacognition means having meta, meaning above yeah. cognition, you know, your own thought process. Yeah. Having self-awareness to say, what my parents taught me, what my teachers taught me, what my grandparents taught me about money, relationships, jobs, etc. What society taught me in good faith is probably no longer relevant now. So I have to unlearn that and learn something new. The same as medicine. To say, one of the one of the one of the famous doctors. I don't know who it was. Maybe Alexander Graham Bell, like hundred years ago. He says, "What we teach you at medical school, fifty percent of it will be invalid by the time you qualify." 
after five years. The problem is we don't know which which fifty percent it is. So you've got to keep learning. Always keep learning. And unlearning. Learn, unlearn, relearn. Unlearning a lot of pattern conditioned behaviors. That goes to self self uh, sabotage as well. A lot of it a lot of that is inbuilt programming. Operant conditioning uh, op- operant conditioning like yeah. Skinner says. We are good on learn that. And then, you know, rebuild bulletproof habits. How do you build a bulletproof habit? So James Clear talks about it in Atomic Habits. For me, habit stacking. If Do them in a row. Yeah, exactly. Do them in a row. And, um, you know, curate your environment very, very deliberately. We, we talked about friendships earlier. Friends, you know, curate your circle deliberately. Be meticulous and very prudent with who you have in your circle. Otherwise, it's a cage. It's not a circle. Same with your environment. If you keep snacking, don't buy things which are going to make a snack. Keep your fridge empty. That means, you know, you've got to eat fresh if your fridge is empty. You know, your cupboard is empty. That means you've got to go for the shop and actually buy good stuff. Take cash with you, not cards. These little habits. You want to go to the gym in the morning, put your shoe, put your shoes right next to the door so when you walk past the door yeah. in the morning, you go to the gym. You want to drink more. That was Doohick, not um, James Clear, that one. Who was that, sorry? Charles Doohick. Oh, joking, right. He wrote The Power of Habit. That's the one, yeah. That's the yeah, one that got but, before but, but to be fair, James Clear refers to that all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's reducing friction, isn't it? It's essentially reducing yeah. friction uh, for, for good things and increasing friction for, for bad habits. So like, if you smoke, put your put your cigarettes in the car. As in, you know, put, put the pack in the car. Yeah, you so got, you, you got to go and upstairs. Yeah, yeah. You you, increase the friction. For good things, decrease the friction. So how do you develop robust habits Go read James Clear's Tommy Cabbage. One of the best books. <laughs> I would say this one of the five best books. Yeah, we we've had him we've had him at Business Excellence as well. Yeah, he's so a really good yeah, he's, yeah. he's you know, online his podcasters like he, when he comes on the podcast as a guest, so much insight from him. Yeah. He's really good. I want to talk about fasting <laughs> and the impact that has on physical health and mental health. Well, so physical health is pretty obvious. You know, it reduces your body fat, okay? You, you can go into a ketotic state. Ketosis is where your brain's firing because it's u- using ketones from the triglycerides, which are from the adipose tissue, which is the fat. The visceral brown fat gets converted to ketones. That's your brain's fuel instead of glucose. Glucose is sugars, comes from food and carbohydrates. So your brain, because it's not getting any glucose, you reverse the ketones, they keep you fueled. So it increases focus, um, regulates insulin production. Very good for burning fat. You can get a really good physique by fasting. They're the physical benefits anyway. Longevity, anti-aging, all that kind of stuff. Is there a, t- is there a lag? You know, you, you've got to do it over a week or two weeks or a month for it to start for your brain to start understanding it's yeah. not getting... Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, yeah. You, I was, do, I was, you, got, you don't just do it in a day and your no, physical no, no, yeah. condition Seven changed. to 10 days, I would say, yeah, or maybe 20, you know, within a month you should. It, it depends on your, essentially fasting, a lot of it depends on how much fat you hold initially and, you know, what your eating habits were like before, okay? So that's, for me, it was easier to fast because I used to fast anyway as a child, you know, during Ramadan, I wouldn't eat for the whole month. By the way, that... That is closely relinked, uh, linked to gratitude. Absolutely. Yeah, you eat in the evening. Well, yeah, you yeah. know, you, you literally fast, so you become more respectful when yeah. 
when you and become more grateful for when you do actually get some food. Absolutely. Like even sometimes when I fast and I get a bit of a tinge of hunger. I always go back to the Prophet Muhammad, peace, peace be upon him. He would actually uh, not have any food and he ties two stones to his stomach. I'm like, if the Prophet could do it and he was 50, why can't I do it? So that, you know, getting gratitude. I'm going back to someone in the past. I'd better say. But that's tricking you in the time. So that's just a, like a mentality. Yeah, exactly. Hack, yeah. Yeah, it's a hack. I'm all, I'm very big for biohacking and, you know, mental hacking and mindset hacking and yeah. all that stuff. I use that with my clients. Going back to physical health or insulin regulation, a lot of people are pre-diabetic without, without knowing it. So fasting regulates insulin. Think about it. In the past, we'd spike our insulin twice a day or maybe once a day. We'd have one meal or two meals. Now we're spiking it 20 times a day, spiking insulin. What happens when insulin keeps spiking? Your pancreas, your beta cells from your pancreas, you get to pump failure. Your pump fails. Like a toilet. If a toilet's been washed so many times, the pump will fail in the toilet. You know, like the whole... Yeah. The whole Ballcock will, will fail. Anything that gets and that keeps getting pumped out will fail. So we're bringing on insulin much quicker. Right. So bringing on diabetes much quicker because we're causing pump failure by continuously secreting insulin. Why? Because we're continuously spiking our blood sugars with snacking. Fasting separates that. Going into the mental health, uh, the the the, um, the 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 brain side of things. It's great for brain health because it takes a lot of the bandwidth away from you. You don't have to think about, oh, you know, what am I eating at half ten or, you know, you know, snacking and what's the supper. You just got one meal a day or two meals a day. You can do more work. You're more focused. And also the noradrenaline and catecholamines, which are kind of alert hormones, right. the flight or flight hormones, they're much more pronounced when you're fasting. So it keeps you much more focused. And there's a bit of research now. I don't want to bore you with the geeky stuff, but... There's something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF. And that's heightened during fasting. And, and another thing, growth hormone as well. So you get growth hormone spike when you fast. Yeah, and, and there's a few different sort of techniques for fasting, isn't there? So there's there's a 24-hour fast where you basically, you have your, your evening meal and then yeah. you wait 24 hours and until I have the, the yeah. evening meal next day. Yeah. Um, that one's... Probably stage two or stage three. I think then there's a 16-8. Yeah. Is that right? 16-8, yeah. So, yeah, so you have an eight-hour eating window. Yeah, you've got an eight-hour eating window between, usually between 12 and 8 p.m., yeah. apparently. Yeah. And is there is there an easier one than that? The easiest, 12 and 12? Or yeah, yeah, 12 and 12. Essentially, 12 and 12. That's the easiest that's one. That's quite normal, isn't it? quite normal, yeah. Eat, or maybe, maybe it's... No, maybe people do snack before bed. Yeah, no, no, people do. Uh, and eat. Exactly. So people are eating till 11 p.m. Uh, they have their dinner 8, 7, 8 p.m. They, then they're snacking 11 p.m. So maybe 12 and 12 is step one because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. A 12 hour fast is step one. Second one is eight, is, is um, 18. Um, 16, 8. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 16, 16 8. 8. That's essentially missing breakfast. Because you start your fast at 8 p.m. And then you break it the next day at 12 p.m. So you miss the eight you miss the eight a.m. breakfast. Yeah. So you're just missing breakfast. Second one is then missing lunch. And how long will it take for the for the mind then to pick up to start losing weight? That you know to start using adipose tissue to. Yeah. So the the whole premise behind fasting, the shorter fast anyway, the the sixteen eight fast, is calorie restriction because. Um, 
you probably won't go into ketosis with 16A. It takes about 16 hours minimum to go into ketosis. So 16-8, after 16 hours, you break the fast anyway. So it's, what happens if someone eats a little biscuit? Yeah, it breaks the fast. It breaks it? Yeah, so you think, the thing with fast, you can't spike your insulin. Your insulin has to stay at zero. Zero. It can't be spiked. And even if you, even if you trick it by something sweet, the the the, the body. Will yeah, we were talking about that, like um, fruit tea. Exactly, fruit tea. So have mint tea, mint tea, herbal tea is fine. Fruit tea, because fruit. What is fruit? Fruit has sucrose and dextrose. Yeah, you know, even the flavouring is sweet. And then you get a spike of insulin. Yeah, and you get a spike of insulin. So you, you don't you don't want to spike it. So have black coffee, have water, have a bit of lime. Something you know, lime's got a very low uh, pH. It's very acidic. Not sweet at all. It's opposite of sweet. It's very bitter and sour. So a bit of lime juice in there, but nothing sweet. So black tea, black coffee, herbal tea, mint tea. I would stay away from fruit teas. Yeah, and the reason it's black tea without milk is because milk's got calories in. Uh, it's in. calories, and but also most importantly, milk has got what? Lactose. Lactose is a sugar. So anything with O's is a sugar. Glucose, dextrose, fructose, sucrose. Got it. The O's is is you know a sugar. Anything. Spikes insulin, you don't want that. And is this going to make me more healthy? Absolutely. You go into a process called uh, autophagy. Aut- you know, people say autophagy, but I, I, I'm a Yorkshireman. Autophagy is essentially autophagy. Phagy means eating. Your body is, eats its, you know, it starts eating and we eat less. You know, you eat less, but autophagy is, is a body's clear acid system. Your body's clearing itself out, it's clearing out the old dead cells. So autophagy, you get better skin, you get a nice glow, get better hair, great, you know, f- lots of focus. Yeah, autophagy. Fasting is a secret, trust me. Warriors did it for a reason. The warriors, and Buddhist warriors. Yeah, well, look, it's becoming increasingly popular right now yeah. anyway, you know. Um, look, we've already established that you've already accomplished quite a lot at a young age. Now, you were also on Dragon's Den. Once upon a time, yes. You were also <laughs> on Dragon's Den. So, how did, what was it like pitching on Dragon's Den? Uh, what, what was it like? Okay. Um, you know, when you get in the lift? Yeah. And, uh, what was going through your head then at that point? Okay. What's going through my head? You know, I thought, because in medicine, we, we pitch a lot. So, we speak to consultants and we speak to patients every day. So, I've got a lot of experience making, having difficult conversations. So I, I had a bit of an unfair advantage there. So, you know, I, I pitched confidently because you know, I've spoken to a lot of people. Um, so I wasn't nervous about the pitch. Um, what what went through my head really was, I wanted Tage, you know, Tage was a vitamins guy. Yeah. I wanted his investment. Because he just started Dragon's Den. Did was, you plan to get his investment? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I, he was a nicest guy to me as well. Uh, so Yeah, it was, I watched it. Yeah, he was nice. <laughs> so he was very, you know, forthcoming in his praise and, um, you like the idea. Great presentation, by the way. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> that. Um, what was going up in my mind? Numbers. Like, you know, I've got my numbers right. Because I knew I've got the story right. I knew the concept. Deborah liked the idea. She, you know, she loved this narrative. Yeah. It's all about numbers. Not the numbers in the past, what what I had made and et cetera, but the numbers for projection. Because they ask you a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, et cetera. The picture's very long, by the way. They only show 10 minutes of it. The whole day is very long. They only show all 10 minutes. They squeeze everything in. How long was your pitch? I would say 25, 30 minutes, maybe even 40 minutes. I'm not sure, but m- much longer than 12 minutes. 
because we talked about numbers, we talked about the research at yeah. the labs at Sheffield Hallam University. We did a lot of research, biomedical research on the right. on the in the smoothies and the glycemic what, index. What did you learn from it? What did you learn from that experience of going on there? And um, business is is a journey. You have to fail your way forward. And uh, sometimes, you know, you have 10 startups and 20 startups, whatever. Yeah. You have to embrace failure as a necessary step in the journey of success. And in the UK, we're, we're very bad at that. We're very, you know, we're very risk averse. In Silicon Valley, you go to California, you go to San Diego, San Francisco, they're very, you know, you know risk, they embrace risk, yeah. don't they? They Absolutely. start up and they fail and they start up again and they fail. That's how they fail forward. In the UK, though, we're very, you know, safety. It's a very safe, safe culture. And I learned business is not safe. Peter, who's the most, you know, he's the wealthiest dragon there. He's had many investments fail and yeah, yeah. he's lost his fortune, I think, twice, I think. It's come back again. So business is all Because he's got the blueprint. He's got the blueprint, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's T. Harvecki, yes. Yeah? So exactly. Millionaire yeah. Mind. yeah. Uh, blueprint is yeah exactly you got to have the blueprint now in the UK we don't have it in, in America they do though Uber Airbnb yeah. Facebook Amazon Silicon Valley very good at starting up failing starting up again starting up lean startup you know with Eric Rice yeah. great book again Silicon Valley lean startup start lean iterate have that short feedback loop and start again in the UK though we love a big protected business it's a very protected process of research and development and then we launch it and then we fail and that's it. You know, we don't do anything again. We go back to our nine to five jobs. In America though, it's all about learning on the job. So it's eye-opening for me in that sense. Look, fascinating discussion. I've got some I've got some quick fire questions for you here. So, what's your favorite book that you've ever read? Now you've already mentioned a lot today, so. Okay, two books then. I'll say non-fiction and fiction. Go. Cool. Non-fiction will have, to be, will have to be the Quran. That's my manual for life. That's got everything I need. Yeah. I read it every day. Uh, so so that, that's, yeah, in non-fiction. And then I would say, sorry, second category is um, self-help book. As yeah. in like man written, you know, you yeah. know, written by an author. I would say, I said Atomic Habits is one of my top five. Yeah. I would say... On the Shortness of Life by Seneca. What did you get from that book? People aren't bothered about you. You won't stop being, stop, stop um, worrying about what other people think. You are on this earth a very short time. The cosmos doesn't care about you. Did that really help you to stop taking things personally? Yes, thick skin. Did that help you after Dragon's Death? Absolutely. 100%. And is that helped you build up your mental health? Yeah, exactly. You know, we often think we're in the spotlight, but people continue with their lives. You know, people continue with their life. It's know? true. The life goes on. People don't really care that much about you. you know, stop living through other people's lenses. So on the shortness of life, great book. Great book. I've, I've not read that, but I'm definitely going to read it after what you just said. Amazing. He says a series of quotes and, and essays, and he says, look, in space and time, you'll be dust. You know, you will become cosmic dust in a few hundred years. You know, why are you worried about now? What's your favorite movie? 
two movies. Two movies. Two books and two movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. You be, as, you, <laughs> you be as greedy as you want. I can't. I'm very greedy. Uh, yeah. Prince of Egypt. Um, that, uh, it's a, that's um, a Disney film about Moses. Yeah, okay. I love that film because it's about you know childhood adversity. He had a speech impediment as well. Went through the Pharaoh's court. Have you watched that with your children? No, I've not actually, no. There you go. I'd love to watch that, yeah. You got two and a five-year-old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, great film. So that's my favourite cartoon sort of Yeah. And speaking of my children, The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, yeah. yeah love that film. Will Smith. Why did you like it so much? It, it, it makes me think about my children and the father's struggle. You see, I tweeted about this today as well. <laughs> Hero's journey. What motivates me is not to become a, a hero in my journey, but to become a superhero in their journey. By the way, everybody's going to be looking at your tweets now because <laughs> we've just we've really marketed it brilliantly. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I, I tweet. I, I, have a, I have a tweet storm, and usually the caffeine fields tweet storm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I had a lot of coffee you, today. You, you go to Costa Coffee or Starbucks. Yeah, just sit down and just tweet. Yeah. So, but I tweet things which I think will be valuable to people now. Are valuable to me as in the therapeutic and cathartic I can let out what I feel otherwise you don't want to you know bottle things in you want to you know bring, bring this therapy isn't it do you tweet on a weekend yeah. every day 10 a day 10 a day yeah maybe maybe sometimes more I've, I've got like 10,000 tweets so far yeah so far well you yeah next week you'll have 11,000 <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favourite holiday destination Australia. How many times have you been there? Only once, but I went for two weeks and I hired a car and just drove around. Went from literally east to west. West is Perth. East is all the way to Cairns. Yeah. Yeah, did the whole thing. Ocean Road, I think. Ocean. Did you drive it? I drove it, yeah. Loved it. So I flew from Perth to Adelaide. From Adelaide, picked up the car. From Adelaide in the south, drove all the way to... What was your favourite part? Melbourne. Great city. Great coffee as well. <laughs> really good coffee. You do any tweets? No. This, this was before Twitter, I think. All right, yeah, there you before, go. Yeah. Before, before Twitter. Before you were on Twitter. Yeah. Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Very good question, that. Any superpower? Yes. See the future. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. How early? Five in the morning, most days. Weekends? Eight, latest. Yeah. That's, a, that's a line for me. Yeah. yeah. If you could have one day in someone else's life, who would you choose? Steven Gerrard. There you Istanbul. go. So, uh, 25th of May, what, 2005. Yeah, you've not you've not only chosen the person, you've chosen the moment, the day, yeah, yeah. the time. 24th, uh, yeah. 24th. The, uh, the after the half time, second half. No, after penalties, after penalties, lifting the cup, lifting the cup. Amazing. <laughs> and then the whole summer, so, we tried to go to uh, Chelsea that summer. You went from love hate, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that time. yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. So you're big Liverpool fan. Yeah, 2005 you choose. Steven Gerrard on the day. Nice. Good choice. Who's helped you the most? Who've been your three biggest trusted advisors in your life? My father. 
So I didn't see much of him when I was younger, but when I was in secondary school, he helped me with my science. And even now I remember, because this is days before like tuition, we couldn't afford tuition, etc. And I wanted to get to medicine, so I had to get my A's. He helped me a lot with my science homework and understanding science principles. And my, I've got a friend who's also called Asif as well. He's, he's my travel partner. So me and him go, we travel quite a lot. Australia? No, no, we're actually going to Estonia in October. Okay. I've not been with him for 10 years though, because he got married and had kids, same as me. So we kind of, we've had like a 10 year um, break from traveling. Right. But we reunite in October. So he's, yeah, he's like a mentor to me, same age. What does he mentor you in? I think we just bounce ideas off each other, bounce ideas. Right. You know, he, he gave me the idea for the podcast. We read the similar kind of books. He always shares his learnings with me and vice versa. Nice. Uh, all right, see, Faber, Asif, and anyone, uh, your third one? I would say my brother. He's, he's up in Scotland. He's doing a PhD. I don't see much. What's he doing the PhD? In data biostatistics. Bio yeah, so he's doing like agricultural, what do you call it? Um, like, you know, you get crop infections and yeah. infestations. He's doing all that kind of modeling on that stuff. He's up in Stirling, in, in, you know, in, in the yeah, Highlands. Uh, so there's a lot of crop there. Yeah. Do all that stuff. And uh, yeah, so me and him speak a lot about philosophy, uh, working out. He's in shape. He, he goes to the gym, speak a lot about mindset. He's, he's only two years younger than me. So he was like my right hand man growing up. Right. Yeah. Okay. And if the listeners could or should do one thing from listening to this, what do you think it should be? Start fasting. Start fasting. Yeah, definitely. Because it, it's not, you know, I, I could give them mindset advice, but fasting will improve their mindset, will improve their physical physical health as well. So it, right. improve, it's like two birds of one stone. Interesting. I didn't know where you were going to go with that one. So you think fasting first, yeah. and then that has a positive impact yeah. on everything else. Yeah, it's all about bandwidth preservation. So fasting has the greatest ROI. You fast, you don't only shorten your food bill because <laughs> you're only eating once or twice a day. Yeah. A massive amount of, uh, you know, savings when it comes to bandwidth, your mental, you know, your cognitive bandwidth gets preserved because you're not thinking about food anymore. You know, you're just working and working out and building relationships, not just thinking about, and you're not having that post-perennial slump, you know, you get that post-lunch slump afterwards. You know? How long have you been fasting? I'm guessing years. Yeah, years, yeah. So since 2016, I started taking it seriously. So seven years. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And... You know what my favorite thing from today is? I loved how you start, started it, them five things. That's not my favorite. I also loved, oh, you put two quotes in here. And I've got to decide which one. It's not that life, it's not the life is short, it's that we waste most of it. Um, don't ask me why the addiction, ask me why the pain. I'm going to go with that last one. That's me, my favorite. I love, I love that one as well. It helps me a lot in my coaching and it's helped me a lot in my medical career. As a doctor, I don't judge anyone anymore. Don't judge anyone. Remove judgment. Absolutely. Because of that. Yeah. Ask them why the pain, you don't know. You do not know. You know, their self, you talked about self-sabotage. What about self-soothing? And what is addiction? Dopamine dysregulation. They're trying to get hits of dopamine to mask pain. Pain is painful. As in, you know, it's not a nice chemical. You know, you're talking about all the 
various chemicals that are released from pain, the cortisol or the astrophil. Yeah. Dopamine will mask that. The dopamine of drugs, <laughs> drink, or social media. It's, it's, it's self-soothing. So ask why the pain. What are they soothing? Is it the inner child that's 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 healing? It's a really nice point though. That's that's helped you remove all judgment. Yeah. Love. Well, anyway, that was my favourite part. What was your favourite part of this conversation? My favourite part was, um, I think, having a lot of alignment with, you know, with your perspective. You've spoken to a lot of people. You've read a lot of books. You've watched a lot of self-improvement. Mm-hmm. Kim Rohn, Napoleon Hill, Tony Robbins. You've you, you bought some old guns there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I love it when you have that chemistry. Yeah. You have that alignment. It's very rare to get that. There you go, Dr. Asif Munaf. Thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Hey there, James here with an exciting announcement. The BizX Awards is coming to the ACC Liverpool from the 18th to the 19th of April with an incredible lineup of speakers. You're going to meet the likes of Stephen Mulhern, Donald Miller, Deborah Meaden, and many, many more. Book your spot right now at thebizx.co.uk. And if you've enjoyed listening to the Business Excellence Podcast, make sure to comment your top learnings and favorite moments, as well as like and subscribe. See you next time.